You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Frances Dietzellers, a senior writer here at The Post. The opioid epidemic has, has cost, cost the lives of hundreds of thousands of people and affected millions more. The limited series Dopesick explores the role of the Sackler family and its company, Purdue Pharma, in promoting the drug OxyContin, the painkiller that experts say is the root of the opioid crisis. I'm delighted today to welcome three people, Rosaria Dawson, Michael Keaton, and Danny Strong, to talk about their work on this compelling series. A very warm welcome to you all. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Well, thank you. So this, of course, is a dramatization of a true crisis in which the Sacklers have denied uh, wrongdoing, either ethical or criminal. And Danny, I'd like to start with you and just to sort of update us. Um, there has been uh, a bankruptcy settlement at the beginning of um, September. Could you talk about your reaction to what happened? Uh, I think my reaction to the bankruptcy settlement is similar to almost everyone in the country, which is disbelief. Um, disbelief that they've been granted immunity to any civil uh, litigation moving forward, disbelief that that this uh, settlement is will just be a drop in the bucket for them financially. It sounds like a huge settlement, $4.5 billion, but they get to pay it over nine years. So in fact, it'll be less than the interest payments that they're making or the, the interest they'll be making on their principal each year. Uh, so they'll be coming out with more money uh, you know, after the settlement than when, when they started. So it doesn't feel... Um, punitive on any level whatsoever. And ultimately, it goes into sort of everything that I've been feeling about the Sacklers through my entire research process uh, into this crisis, which is that they always get away with it. They just always get away with it. And someone asked me, why is that? You know, how, how do they always get away with it? And I say, it's, it's very easy. The answer is one word, money. Um, and, and it just goes to show how the ultra wealthy uh, how they're able to game the system at the highest levels of the American government and in the in the Justice Department um, and and in Congress uh, and even in the DEA uh, that they're able to game the system to the point that they're able to sell this drug for as long as they did uh, lying about it uh, and then having ultimately no repercussions uh, besides uh, the public shaming that they've that they've uh, taken on. So, Michael, that takes me to a question for you. The Justice Department has intervened to stop this particular settlement. Um, that starts another protracted process going ahead with no resolution for individuals. Um, talk to me, in your research and, and learning about how to portray the character you do in this movie, you're very much a link with the individual, but how do you see the individual coming out of this? There's the, the wealth that Stanley's talked about they're up against. Uh, the FDA, um, and now a legal system that seems to be dragging on. Yeah, I just, uh, Danny and I were talking about that earlier. I, I think it's right now currently, and I, I'm not up to speed uh, exactly, but I think it's a case of someone, I don't know if it, uh, there's, it's, it's a not so fast uh, situation, you know, in terms of the immunity. Um, you know, it's a cliched expression, but, but, uh, money talks you know and it's always shocking to me that it it goes on and on and on and now you know this is this is the this is the 
the micro of the macro. We're talking about uh, Sacklers and Purdue Pharma and uh, imagine all the other uh, large corporations who would be or will be in a similar uh, situation with other in, on other issues. Um, so, you know, what Danny is so much more educated and, and informative about all this. Uh, to me, what is shocking and was shocking while we were making it uh, was uh, how overt the uh, criminal behavior was. I mean, I, I, you know, you could, I don't know another, you have to say criminal behavior, how overt the, the, uh, the manipulation of everything was, the manipulation of the, how you rename uh, uh, pain medication just to, you know, in order to, to, to sell it. Uh, so, um, I'm glad, I'm glad, really glad to be part of this and bringing it into, uh, awareness. And, you know, the thing to be also truthful about it, the thing that I really love about this, uh, uh, limited series is not only is it about something important, it plays somewhat as a thriller and avoids being uh, uh, righteous or, or, or preachy. Um, and, uh, and so thank you. Happy to be part. So Rosario, just one question for you again about the settlement. I think there were 130,000 victims claims. If the settlement were to go through, it would be about $5,000 per family. One of the key things I think I take away from your character is how um, the, the 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 hurt spreads way beyond the individual victims and in, in your characters it's the marriage but you see that talk to me again about the the individual up against the system and what you learned through putting together this movie the series I mean the thing you know as Michael was talking about and, and Danny is the money that's here and the narrative that's been pushed I mean you have people who are languishing in jail right now because they had a joint in their pocket you know, like when when the system is rigged against the poor, it's rigged against minorities, it's rigged against um, classes, like it is a system that is designed to continue perpetuating a narrative that if you get in trouble, you deserved it. And if you got away with it, then good for you, you know, and um, the powers that be that you get to see in this represented just the breadth of it and what it really looks like. What does that mean? Like, it's not just someone evilly going here. You, I'm going to give you this money and you're going to look out for me. Right. It's actually it's not like that. It's it's so much more insidious the way that it kind of went down. And that's why this story, I think, is so powerful, because it pushes back on this narrative of blaming the victim and ostracizing and stigmatizing the addict and hopefully starts building up more humanity and an, an appreciation and compassionate sort of look at just the you know the flaws of human beings the times in which that this happens you know and you have i keep bringing up you know when you have someone like Rudy Giuliani who is brought on to be the lawyer for Purdue Pharma right after 9/11 he was like the, the biggest political darling of the time you weren't going to go against him he'd had cancer he was a perfect spokesperson for this like like so it's really it's nuanced the way that they used their privilege it's the way that they had all of these folks going into each of these doctors personalizing their relationship with them you know, getting them gifts and, and doing all this kind of stuff. How do you push back against a company that has that much money 
to dominate and create and perpetuate a narrative, you know, and all of these individual victims then get silenced because they've already been encapsulated in the story and their story is that they're just addicts. And you know how we are, we think about addicts. They're just lowly, sad, pathetic people who are the disgrace of our society and should be pushed aside. And it's like, that's absolutely not at all the story, but it's dominated the conversation for so long. And I think is the reason why we're still seeing this unfold in a way that is not truly centered in justice. And hopefully a story like this can help shift that narrative because there is other things we can do, like passing the Sackler Act that will prevent them from pushing, from hiding behind Purdue Pharma's bankruptcy and actually hold them accountable. And that could be something legislatively that could be used in future to prevent a crisis like this getting out of this out of control. So there's still stuff that we can do. Um, but we have to have public opinion and the status quo transformed in order to make something like that happen. Because people so are more bigger than power. How this is how this happens in the movie. Um, through one of the characters, Dr. Samuel Phoenix. He's a small town doctor. He gives us an insight into how this plays out in one of the many small towns that were affected by the crisis. Let's take a look. Hell up. And what do you think caused so many deaths over such a short period of time? You too, young lady. You take it easy, all right? I know, Doc. Dr. Phoenix? Oxycontin. So just to be clear, you're blaming numerous deaths in your town on just one medication? Yes, sir. I am. And are you the individual that prescribed this medication? Yes, sir. I did. So Michael Phoenix is a fictional character, but he really takes us into the lives of doctors prescribing these drugs. Did you, in preparing for the role, talk to doctors in small towns? And what did you learn from them? What were those conversations like? Um, well, just to step back just a little bit for a minute, uh, what uh, Rosario said in an extremely articulate way is all correct and the thing that i always talk about is and and you see that see this in in the series with my character but the the exponential damage that all this all this does that uh, uh addiction does but you know addiction brought on in such an insidious way uh by this by this company um speaking with doctors and and i was always uh learning something as we were shooting, uh, because it was, as I said before, it was so overt, the, the manipulation and the, uh, the, the in, ingenious salesmanship of selling an addictive drug and lying about it, um, that I couldn't believe, I, I often would be doing a scene and I'd have to talk to Danny or Barry Levinson or someone else to say, I think this is a little too obvious and too on the head and not really believable. And they would inevitably tell me or point to something that was, uh, you know, not word for word, but just factual, just, just the facts. Um, it, it seemed impossible 
that uh, this this was occurring. And once again, it comes down to money. Um, the only doctor I really spoke with was my own doctor. And really all I wanted to start with was, uh, I'm, I'm thinking back, were there some other doctors I talked about? Um, not really. I, I wanted to start with, why does a person become a doctor in the first place? What is it that says, I think I'll, I'll, I'll choose to be, to be a doctor. So I, I started from that. Um, what I wasn't aware of, not that I ever, you know, would doubt it, but I wasn't aware of the amount of uh, practitioners or doctors who, in fact, without giving too much away, in fact, uh, ran into a similar situation uh, that uh, my character does, which if you watch the series, you'll see, but also who were uh, 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 involved in prescribing pills uh, and, and knowing uh, what they were doing. I can't remember the name of the town in West Virginia that ultimately this town sued. The amount of uh, pills per person uh, and prescriptions written was an insane amount. I think the town, I think it's, it's a town of, I think under a thousand people. Um, uh, and it, there was an article in the Times today, I can't give you the statistics in, in Ohio. Um, so there were there are doctors who were um, um, cooperating. <laughs> uh, um, my character isn't one of those, but he he also uh, his life takes a big turn, which is accurate for some physicians. I'm I'm trying to address it, but not give too much away so that you'll follow the uh, episodes. But what you say brings me exactly to a question for Danny. Um, you talk about being brought back to the facts when you feel as if it's gone too far. Danny, you, you, the, the, the series comes out of a, a book or is related to a book, Dope Sick, written by a journalist. It's a, a factual account and you decided to dramatize this. Talk about where you decided to move from fact to fiction in creating characters like Phoenix and why you did so in certain places. What was the power of doing that? Yeah, so for me, um, making the town of Finch Creek, the coal town that we see uh, is invaded um, and attacked by Oxycontin, uh, um, a town filled with composite characters. The primary goal of that was because I had, through my research, come across so many different stories. Um, all of these different stories of the journey of addiction. And they're so powerful, all these different tales. And I thought, if I had composite characters, I could use more of these stories in the show as opposed to being confined by the the actions of, of one individual person. And so by doing that, it felt like I was actually uh, able to tap into a more universal truth, um, something that that had more, uh, just, just more facts um, ingrained into the show. So it, it seemed to me that that was the best way to tell this story um, because there's just so many different powerful tales. And the more that we could get into the show, uh, the, the better understanding of the totality of the opioid crisis uh, I felt the audience could have. A portrait painter once told me that a portrait is a bunch of lies that tells a more telling truth than a photograph. So uh, that sort of rings true from what you're well, saying. Rosario, oh, go ahead. 
Well, I was just going to say Aaron Sorkin, who's the master of, of nonfiction movies, has this beautiful saying, which is it's a painting, not a photograph, very much along the lines of what you're talking about. And that's what we're doing here. You know, we're not saying this is a word for word account of what happened. But by, you know, by tapping into this more universal truth, um, you're able to get, like I said, more of a more of a, a truthful tale of, of the totality of the event. Rosario, your character, a drug enforcement agency uh, worker, um, th there's, a, there's a moment where she talks about the fact that um, this is an, a homegrown enemy instead of a drugs coming from overseas, which is, I think, one of the most telling moments. How did this, this um, sense of a domestic crisis come home to you? What did you learn as you went through preparing for this performance? Yes. I mean, I grew up in New York in the Lower East Side um, during the HIV AIDS crack cocaine disparity um, heroin crisis. And, you know, I saw firsthand um, the people who were victimized by it and the stories that immediately once they fell into this space, you know, how they were targeted. Um, and uh, marginalized. And, you know, she, my character gets a chance, again, this remarkable composite character, which after reading Dope Sick by Beth Macy and Painkiller and a lot of other things that Danny recommended for me um, to do my research, you know, you see, like, it's just, it. there's so many stories. And to be able to play a character like Bridget Meyer, who's a composite of multiple different people so that you can, each scene is hitting on something very truthful and very real. And actually some scenes are actually word for word for some of the characters that my characters, uh, some of the people that my characters composited for. Um, but I just loved that because of this character being a character, she could, there could be a gradient of information that could be given. So there's a, there's a time where I'm doing research as this DEA agent and looking and seeing how there's lines down the block outside of pharmaceutical places. Um, and she interrupts a, a, a robbery and it turns out to be like a child. And it's a, wow. it's a huge moment for her and re revelation about like just how pro like deeply insidious and profound this crisis is. And in that she gets to speak to why she became a DEA agent, you know, because she grew up in a community very much like mine and saw the problems of that community and wanted to be someone who was a stand for it. And I grew up in a community where it was radical organizers, community organizers and activists who were doing things like handing out clean needles so as to prevent the spread of HIV and AIDS because of heroin usage, you know, um, which was very looked down upon and frowned upon then. But now as the years go on, we recognize it as incredible and very useful tactics for harm reduction, because now there's language for that. Um, but, you know, for her, the only thing that she could really think of to do is to be that person in the DEA that would encounter these people and these situations with more humanity than normally is, is the case. And so it was just really profound and powerful to see that toll on her, to know that that was her history, to know that that was her impul impulse and push, even as she was pushed, put down for being a woman in the job and not having the gift of gab and humor and grace to be able to navigate these spaces in a way that would have been maybe more palatable for her male colleagues. Um, 
she was just very fervent and very passionate about this. And it, it cost her personally, um, it cost her her mental health and emotional health. And you can see why a lot of people choose not necessarily to stand up for the right causes because it's a toll. It's a real toll, and it's 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 really gratifying to be able to expose that element in this story, and hopefully gain more of an audience so that there is more of an army to combat this particular war that we're in, which is not the war on drugs. It's it's the criminality of homegrown um, cartels that I would love to take a look at Bridget Meyer in action. From a, Let's go to a short clip from the movie and see her performing just the way you said she does. Consultations 500, then you come in every 28 days for your refill for 125. Do I meet with the doctor for my refill appointment? Only if you want to, or you can just pick up your prescription. Um, the doctor is booked till next Thursday, so you can pull those at home if you like. Is there any way that I can meet with the doctor today? I have really bad shoulder pain. So is everyone else. Have a good day. So, Danny, the kinds of scenes we see portrayed so powerfully in this series are ongoing, and particularly now we have this bankruptcy case. Do you see yourself... Uh, doing um, episodes 9, 10, 11, 12 of this drama? Yeah, we've certainly talked about it. The show basically ends in 2007. Uh, and I, I'm sad to say that the amount of criminal behavior from 2007 to 2020 was so staggering that Purdue Pharma had to plead guilty again in 2020 uh, to two more felonies. And um, I believe it was $8.5 billion in fines. So that's a lot of criminal behavior uh, that they have, uh, you know, conducted in order to get fines that high. So yeah, maybe there is a potential season two from 2007 to 2020, in which we once again, sadly, uh, uh, expose Purdue's ongoing criminal behavior. And part of the 2007, uh, 2007 settlement that, that we dramatize in the show is that there were um, safeguards put in place. There was an oversight that was put in place for Purdue Pharma uh, moving on post the settlement, um, and surprise, surprise, they completely ignored those safeguards, and they continued their same deceptive tactics. Uh, they started pushing their sales even harder uh, in more reckless, dangerous ways, um, even though the amount of information that was now out there by 2007, and what Purdue itself had pled guilty to in a statement of facts uh, is incredibly damning what they have pled guilty to. Uh, but they did not care. Uh, they did not care of, of what they had previously done. All they cared about was sell, sell, sell. And that's exactly what they did and why there was a second guilty plea in 2020 and, and why 
Uh, now the company is is essentially it's it's out of business. Uh, the Sackler family has no involvement in it, and now it's this strange situation where it's now government owned. So uh, profits from OxyContin will now go to the victims of OxyContin, and that makes a lot of of activists really uncomfortable that um, that this drug that got themselves or their family members, um, you know, addicted, and in many cases, you, you know, people overdosed, people passed away. That those sales are continuing, and that the money to it is now coming back to them. It's it's you know, there's a very very sort of strange and dark irony um, to what is what's going to be happening moving forward. Well, we've talked many times about the human toll, the breadth of it. And that's generated a lot of um, audience questions. I'd like to raise one. This Michael will come to you. And the question comes from, I'm going to read it to you, Don in Maryland. And he asks, how can those of us in recovery help the general public understand that most people with opioid use disorder continue to use just to avoid getting sick rather than getting high? How can we reverse this stigma? And Michael, maybe you can talk about the role of an art form like this in reversing stigma. Boy, uh, that's really, I'm so, I'm so glad he, he, he mentioned that. I was just speaking with Danny about someone um, who has, a, has an issue, you know, and has, a, has admitted to his, uh, his, uh, his condition and he's facing now and now he's experiencing pain. And he's trying to figure out how to uh, properly take medication with a doctor and not, uh, you know, fall fall back in uh, deeper. Um, and he's doing fine. I mean, he's very very successful. Um, it was a, an addiction to something else. Um, boy, the, the, I really want to really really think about this. This is such a great. First of all, here's here's what I really think. I do think that the stigma has been uh, uh, eased a little bit, uh, and may, maybe a lot. Years ago, I did a, a movie called Clean and Sober, so um, I had to meet many people who, you know, uh, were dependent on drugs and alcohol, drugs and or alcohol. And, and um, you learn so, so much. And the first thing you learn is, for me anyway, you know, it's probable that, you know, I got lucky. You know, I didn't get whatever that thing is that, you know, that chemical imbalance or whatever it is, because it could have easily been me. Fortunately, it's not. Uh, and I think, while I think the stigma is better than it was, I really do think, and this is why this question is so good, I'm thinking about it. I really do think there, there needs to be some sort of campaign, I hadn't thought of this, frankly, that does explain to people, because you think we understand, but we really still don't, that this is a disease uh, and I don't know what the campaign would be, but I really do believe now, now the next thing to be done, I'm thinking, is to explain to people that this could be anyone and all the damage it does and people shouldn't be viewed as less than. And it's almost always poor people. <laughs> it's almost always poor people. And so people easily point to them and say, well, see, there you go. You know, very often there's a real, there's a real reason and inequity 
that was created that made someone poorer in the first place. So you have to get to the root of the cause. Uh, but that that definitely should be addressed. Um, um, uh, the stigma attached. I have time right, for just one last question. Uh, well, just, just just to, you know, go ahead. Well, it's a beautiful question, and I'll just answer real quickly. Uh, we we hit that head on in the show. Uh, I think it's it's a major concept in the show exactly what that question was, and I and I think audiences will see it dramatized um, exactly what that person so beautifully asked. Um, that that in an opioid use disorder, your brain chemistry has been changed so that you are in so much pain without it, you think you're gonna die. And that's where the word dope sick comes from. That's what being dope sick is. So in, in many ways, uh, that, you know, let what, what your questioner know that that is something we, we discuss extensively over the course of the season. I think our question is gonna be listening in and I, I really wish we had more time. We haven't got more time with you. Thank you so much for this powerful discussion and also for finishing up with this important notion of overcoming stigma. It's um, it's so important. Rosario, Michael, Danny, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you everyone else for joining Washington Post Live. If you would like to know more about our upcoming programming, it's on WashingtonPostLive.com. I'm Francis Deed Sellers. Thank you for being with us today. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.